0: chapter 1 in your Bibles, Ruth chapter 1, in just a moment uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 6, Ruth chapter 1 verse number 6, resuming our studies in the book of Ruth, and it's interesting that as we think about the book of Ruth and the town where this story took place, Bethlehem, we find that we're really not that far from Christmas, are we? We think about the little town of Bethlehem and the significance of that little town in the life of King David, uh, who was the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. And then some 30 generations later, David (laughs) would have a descendant, a son of David, born there as well, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 6, I would like to preach a message tonight with this title, Coming Home coming home. Uh, Judson's chosen a couple of songs that uh, go along with that theme, and we're going to focus in particular as we look at Ruth, we're gonna, or at uh, Naomi, we're going to focus on the blessings of coming home. Notice, if you would, chapter 1 and verse number 6, "...then she," this is speaking of Naomi, "...arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people And giving them bread, I've imagined Naomi just thinking about the taste of bread made with the grain grown in the fields outside of Bethlehem. And uh, there's no comparison when you think about the husks of Moab to the bread restored in Bethlehem. Verse number 7, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Of course, verse number 8 down to verse number 18 is the interchange between Naomi with her two daughters-in-law. She'll actually persuade Orpah to go back to Moab, a very uh, sad part of this story. Lord willing, next week we're going to consider Ruth's role in this interchange, verse number 8 down to verse number 18. And consider the subject, and I think this is important for us. I'll just kind of give you this as you pray about think about next Sunday evening and the subject that we'll consider, and that is this. Dr. Comfort has said for years that adultery has slain its thousands and bitterness its tens of thousands. And the likelihood of all of us at some point in our lives, obviously not only just battling with the temptation to bitterness, but interacting with someone who is. And Ruth gives us a wonderful picture of how to be a friend to someone who's battling bitterness. And so we're going to consider that next week. So just be praying about that, that the Lord will use that and would help me this week as I prepare. Now move forward to verse number 19. So they too, now we're just dealing with Naomi and Ruth. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? Pleasantness. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, pleasantness, call me Mara, bitterness. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? It's interesting how she's making an accusation against the people of Bethlehem who've actually been very gracious and hospitable to her seeing the Lord hath testified against me. He's acted like a prosecuting attorney and the almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word and the remainder of our time together this evening, I pray that you would challenge our hearts. I pray that you would show us from the scripture again, the blessings of coming home and Lord, I know we may not necessarily have any actual prodigals in our midst tonight. But Lord, we all know some prodigals. I think of heavy-hearted parents who are here who have children, young people away from the Lord. But Lord, all of us, as we think about the songwriter of uh, the song, Come Thou Fount, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And while a person may never literally go to the far country... Uh, we have the tendencies of the elder brother into, in us and may go to the far country in our hearts and need to be reminded of the importance of coming home. And so, God, I pray that you would use the story of Naomi and Ruth tonight to uh, give us some encouragement as it relates to times that our hearts may get cold and to some things that uh, we can look forward to when we... Uh, come back to you and come home in our hearts and get right with you the blessings of coming home. And uh, Father, we thank you for these wonderful pictures and promises in Scripture, and I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, There's nothing like coming home. Uh, I remember years ago when I first came to college, my dad told me, he said, Now, son, I want you to know coming home is never going to be the same. And, uh, and I, I thought, what's he talking about? And I, and I did. I would come home at that chapter of life. I would come home for a break at college. And Dad was right. It was not the same. That's because it wasn't really my home anymore. I'd moved to a new chapter of life. But now that I have my own home, i got to tell you, there's nothing like coming home. And you go on a trip, and uh, you begin to... Get ready to come home. You begin to think about, Grace and I went to Chattanooga the first part of last week for a mission meeting. and uh, There was just something about coming through Asheville and Hendersonville, getting on the other side of the curves on 40 and knowing we're going to be coming down the mountain. We get down to the bottom of the mountain. We take the first exit to the right. We curve around through the turnabout, head down 108. We're going home. I'm going to get to eat at home tonight. I'm going to get to sleep in my own bed tonight. Uh, ask Ray about the beds he slept in at the hospital and the rehab center. He'll tell you, even with a replaced knee and some of the pain of that, there was nothing like getting home and sleeping in his own bed. Okay. The blessing of coming home. The story of Naomi is wonderful because it illustrates to us, as we think about this theme, that there's grace for whatever the need is. The grace of God is God's supernatural supply for whatever need a person has. And there's grace for coming home. But how did Naomi access that grace? And I mentioned this several weeks ago. The first thing she did was she heard. She heard that the Lord had visited his people and was giving them bread again. The land of Israel had been gotten right with God, and they had been experiencing God's blessing. And she heard that from Moab. And what happened is that hearing, just like Romans chapter number 10, so then faith cometh by hearing, hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When she responded, she heard, and then she responded to that hearing. There was a hunger that began to awaken in her. She wanted to get back to Bethlehem. And really it gives to us a picture of how a person begins taking conscious steps to get home when they've strayed from the Lord. The Bible tells us too that she rose and began to head home And then she had to humble herself for help that God would use in her life in particular through Ruth. Uh, Naomi is, in a sense, an Old Testament picture of the prodigal in Luke 15. Now, we do well to remember that not all prodigals have physically gone to the far country. When we preach about the prodigal son in Luke chapter number 15, we actually are mistaken because there are two prodigals in Luke chapter number 15. There was the boy that went to the far country and there was the elder brother who is a picture of the Pharisees who never literally went to the far country, but he had the far country in his heart. And he even begrudged his brother coming home and was angry at the grace and the mercy that his father showed that younger brother and would not go in to the house. Can I just say tonight that one is no better than the other? The elder brother syndrome is as much a problem and an issue as the younger brother syndrome. And so there's a danger of a far country heart. We are prone to wonder. I think all of us in the quietness of our heart would admit it's easier to let our hearts grow cold than we like to admit. And in our hearts to move away from the Father or drift away from the Father, No, though we may never actually leave home. And so there's application here for us all. The need to, when we're going to come home, the need to hear, the need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Emelyn sent us a video of Carolyn yesterday. Yes, I'm a grateful grandfather. And uh, the video was of Micah feeding Carolyn had a little bowl of some kind of green mush. I don't know what it was, and spoon after spoon, and she was like that as he would put a spoon out, and then she'd look at Emmeline videoing her and smile, and then she would immediately get drawn back. And at one point in the video, she was so rabidly hungry that she reached out with her little seven-month-old hand and snatched that bowl right out of Micah's hand. And took that bowl and began gnawing all over the bowl, just trying to get any of the food off of it and out of it that she could. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. I know that was green mush, not milk, but you get the point. okay? But there's got to be a hunger. Proverbs 27.7 says, The full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. There's a sense in which we need to stay hungry all the time. We need to be like Naomi here when we stray in our hearts to just get up and start heading to the house. Back to the presence of the Lord. Humble ourselves for help. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. It's the goodness of God, Paul said in Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4, that does what? The goodness of God, what? Leads to Repentance. You know, it's interesting to hark back to Luke 15 and the prodigal son. The prodigal son never once questioned the goodness of his father. In fact, it was the goodness of his father that as he sat in the far country, destitute in a pig pen, it was the goodness of his father that actually brought him to himself. You remember he sat there and he said, my father's hired servants have it better than I do. I will arise and go to the Father. And what a tremendous picture to us of our heavenly Father. And so the goodness of God leads to repentance. It was the goodness of God in restoring bread to Bethlehem, Judah, and Israel that began stirring in Naomi's heart. It was the memories of his father's goodness that stirred in the heart of the prodigal son. And now I want us tonight to briefly consider several of the blessings of coming home whether literally or in your heart. And you might be right where you need to be, but there may be a time in the future where your heart does grow cold and you need to remember back that, you know what, there's no place like home. A first blessing about coming home, and that is this. We see this illustrated in Naomi's life. Misconceptions about God are corrected there are really two major misconceptions that Naomi had about the Lord that had developed in her thinking while she was in Moab and really before she even went to Moab in the first place. The first misconception is this, is that the goodness of God had failed her. It was one of the reasons they would have left in the first place. God's goodness has failed And you look at some of the things that she says here when she talks about the hand of the Lord going out against her, uh, verse number 13. And then uh, verse number 21, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. She's essentially saying, God's goodness has failed me. Now, here's the interesting thing. She would acknowledge it and hope for it in the lives of other people, but she had gotten so blinded in her trip to Moab That she had allowed misconceptions about God to blind her, to develop in her mind. And then I think too about this, and we're going to look at Lamentations 3 in just a moment. Another misconception that had developed in her mind about God, not only that God's goodness can fail, but also that God's chastening is vindictive. that God's got it in for me when He chastens me. Let me tell you, God doesn't have it in for you when He chastens you. When he chastens me. And so when she was in the process of coming home, these misconceptions, the thought that God's goodness has failed or can fail, and that God is chastening me out of vindictiveness, those misconceptions would be corrected when she came home. Keep your hand here and look with me, if you would, at Lamentations chapter 3. Just a little bit of a background setting in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. Lamentations is a series of funeral dirges written in Hebrew poetry that Jeremiah the prophet composed in the months immediately following Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army's leveling of the city of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Destroyed the temple, not one stone left upon another, burned the gates with fire, breached the walls, burned the city, and took the last off-scouring of the people, if you would, with the exception of the scum, took them into captivity. Jeremiah was given the opportunity to go back to Babylon and be treated well for the rest of his life, and he refused to do it. He instead chose to stay and destroyed Jerusalem with the off-scouring of the people, the handful that were left behind. And continue to minister to him, even though the scripture indicates they would force him to go to Babylon. And we believe eventually he would be killed or die in Babylon against his will. Because he chose to stay and continue ministering to God's people. But lamentations are these funeral dirges that Jeremiah is composing as he's walking through the city of Jerusalem that is a smoking rubble. He sees people starving in the streets and human skeletons, if you would. Mothers eating their young. He witnesses things that are heinous to even consider. He says in verse number 21 of chapter 3, notice it if you would, Lamentations 3 and verse number 21. This He's talking about what he's about to say. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The context is this if I look around, there's no reason for hope. From a human perspective, it would seem that God has vacated the premises. But notice what he says This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. In other words, if it wasn't for the Lord, it would be even worse. Let me just say this to all of us tonight. If it wasn't for the Lord, no matter how bad any of us have it, if it wasn't for the Lord, it would be way worse. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Why? Because His compassions fail not. Think when Jeremiah is saying this. It's at the low point of Israel's history. Yet his compassions fail not. Notice this, they are new every morning. As dark as the night is, joy will come in the morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Now notice this, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Look at verse number 33. For he doth not, this is a profound verse, he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Now just let that soak in. I won't take the time to turn there tonight, but write this reference down. Isaiah 28 and verse number 21. The context is Isaiah prophesying the very judgment that Jeremiah witnessed. In Isaiah 28, the context is Isaiah telling the people of Judah and Israel that just as God has judged your enemies, if you don't get right, God is going to turn his judgment on you. Sadly, the people of Israel did not believe the message of God through Isaiah, and judgment did come. But in that context, Isaiah chapter number 28 and verse number 21, Isaiah does something interesting. He refers to the judgment of God as God's strange work. In other words, judgment is foreign or unusual, or can I say the exception to how God works? It's his strange work. Isaiah 28, verse number 21. He does not willingly afflict. Let me just tell you something. It's the devil that whispers misconceptions about God in our ears. He started all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3, and he's still doing it 6,000 years later. When we come home and we get back close to the Lord, misconceptions about God are corrected. And we learn that His goodness has never failed us all along. And we learn that His chastening is not vindictive, but it is for our good and out of His love so that afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And Naomi learned that in coming home. Number two, another blessing in coming home. And I love this. And we'll go back to the portion of... Uh, Chapter number one of Ruth that we did not read, and that is this another blessing of coming home is that seeming impossibilities are overcome. Seeming impossibilities are coming home. Notice, if you would, verse number eight, Ruth 1. And Naomi said unto her two daughters in law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead, talking about Malon and Kilion, and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Let me just say this. It's never a wise thing to take advice from someone who's bitter. Okay. Do you see what Naomi's doing? Naomi is... Pressuring Ruth and Orpa to go back to Moab, and to imply that they will find rest in the home of a Moabite idolatrous baby sacrificer. Notice what Naomi goes on to say. Then she kissed them. Verse number nine, and lifted they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And then here, here's an impossibility that she is foreseeing. She thinks about these two daughters-in-law who are now destitute widows themselves. And she's thinking about the levirate law. That if a young Jewish groom, husband died, then a brother of his was to marry his widow and raise up a son in the dead man's name. And so that's what Naomi is thinking here. She's viewing this as it relates to Ruth and Orpah as an impossible situation. Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi is seeing an impossible situation. But I want you to understand something. When we come home, when Naomi comes home, God's work is to overcome seeming impossibilities. The need of a husband for Ruth would be overcome. Uh, She would say, go back to Moab, find rest in the home of a husband. She's seeing it as an impossibility. But how does God transform things? Notice chapter 3 and verse number 1. This is how God turns things around when a person comes home. Chapter number 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek? What's the word? Rest for thee. It's what we could call the marriage ideal. She had implied that the girls needed to go back to Moab to find rest in the home of a Moabite husband because she was seeing no possible way that the provision of a good man could be had in their lives. But when she came home and Ruth came with her, in fact, in chapter number three, we find God providing for what seemed impossible. She thought it was impossible that descendants could be had for Elimelech and Malon and Kilion. And yet, by the time we get to chapter number four, because Naomi came home, sons would be born, a son would be born to carry on the name of Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion through Boaz's union to Ruth. And so when you come home, things that seem impossible can be overcome. By the way, a thousand years after an impossibility was overcome by a wife being or a husband being found for Ruth, a kinsman redeemer, a child being born, and when she thought it was Ruth, or Naomi thought it was impossible that descendants could be had for Limelech and Malon and Kilion, that the family line could be continued. When she thought it was impossible, God did it. And a thousand years later, and another impossibility would be overcome when a little virgin girl from Nazareth would give birth to her baby in the same city. We serve a God who when we come home... He has a wonderful ability to do the impossible and overcome those things. Another blessing of coming home, not only that misconceptions about God are corrected and impossibilities are overcome. You know what this does as I work through these in my mind? It just makes me love the Lord all the more. I want you to notice a third blessing that God has in store for those that come home, and that is this, losses are restored. Losses are restored. Now I want to be careful here to use the word restored instead of the word replaced. There's a very real sense in which Elimelech and Malon and Kilion, a husband and two sons, would never, could never be replaced in Naomi's life. We lose a loved one and that loved one can never be replaced. It's like losing a limb. You adapt. You acknowledge and you adapt. But you, you you don't get that limb back, by the way, until you get your resurrection body. Okay. And so we're not talking about replacement here, but we are talking about the work of God being restored. Losses are restored. So I'm not minimizing the grief that folks experience when a loved one passes is taken away. But here is what I do want us to consider. When we think about... In Naomi's life, she came home. Another blessing that God had in store for her is that things that she, where she had experienced loss, God brought about restoration in those areas. And I want you to know something. He'll do the same in the life of any believer who comes home too. It's the character of our God. I'm going to show you this in just a moment. What she thought she had forfeited. What Naomi thought she had forfeited in the death of Elimelech and Malon and Kilion because of their disobedience and going down to Moab to begin with. What she thought she had forfeited. The, the carrying on of the family name and the seed line. God would graciously use Ruth in her marriage to Boaz and Ruth would become the link of God's restoration work in Naomi's life. Joel chapter 2 and verse number 25. Just keep your hand on Ruth and go there and look at this passage with me. The book of Joel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel is looking forward in chapter number 2 to the coming millennial kingdom. The thousand year reign of Christ on the earth after the tribulation period yet future to us even right now. And I want you to notice, here, here's the, he's talking about his resuming of his work with his people Israel for all of their sin, all of God's judgment on them. And I want you to notice the character of God. Verse number 25, Joel chapter 2 verse number 25. God says through Joel to the people of Israel as he looks forward to the millennial kingdom. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. Things taken away in judgment, things lost <laughs> God and his restorative work is going to give back. Hey, you might say, well, they didn't deserve it. Right answer. Neither do you and I deserve the goodness of God in our lives. And yet, look at him. Look at our God. He's going to restore the years that they, by their own sinful choices, had forfeited. And yet God says, I'm going to restore the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall, as he looks forward to the plenty of the millennial kingdom and the restoring of things that they had lost... Ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed or disappointed. And ye shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel, that I'm the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Now, I got to tell you something. I read that. And you know what that does in my heart? That makes me, when I think about the gracious, undeserved goodness of God in my life, it doesn't make me want to become presumptuous on that and stray further away. It makes me want to stay close to a God that is that good. But we do well to remind ourselves that he's a God that when a loss is experienced, he desires to restore it. I think about, though it was different circumstances, not sin in Job's life, how God, Job chapter number 42, restored so much in Job's life. Think about Psalm chapter 27 in verse number 10. David said, when father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will do what? Take me up. Do you know the literal idea, the Hebrew there, the Lord will take me up? When father and mother forsake me, David said, the Lord will take me up. It's literally the idea of a father taking a little one up in his arms. That's the picture, isn't it? Wonderful. look at psalm chapter 68 verse number six let's put our eyes on this one i got one more point after this one then we'll land the airplane psalm chapter 68 in verse number six i got the wrong verse but i'll tell you what it is i think i got it in my mind <laughs> that's the wrong reference Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it, for I am the Lord God that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. In other words, it's as if God is saying, if I can bring you up out of the land of Egypt, I can take care of everything else. And so his work of restoring. He's the God who, according to Isaiah, turns ashes to beauty. He's the God who can take a Mary Magdalene, and use her to be one of the primary eyewitnesses of the four gospel accounts. That's what our God delights to do when we come home. Impossibilities are overcome. Losses are restored. Misconceptions are corrected. Ruth, who would be such a loyal companion in Naomi's life, would be considered better than seven sons. Now, you and I hear that and we're like, I mean, I... I I've got three daughters, another one on the way. I love little girls, nothing against Judson. I like him too, he's okay. He's actually amazing. But in Jewish culture, really no other way to say it. Generally speaking, sons were considered better than daughters. And it's a mouthful. It's a mouthful for these ladies in Bethlehem to say, This daughter in law, Ruth, this Moabitess? Hey, it's only the grace of God that even sets up a statement like that. Is better to thee than seven sons. Seven, the number of completion in the Hebrew mind, the number of perfection. And here is this Ruth. And it's all the goodness of God because Naomi tried sending Ruth back to Moab in the first place. We'll talk in more detail about this. But to me, it was one of the most terrible slights in all the book that Naomi and Ruth come back. The city of Jerusalem gathers around them. And Naomi says to the city of the people of Bethlehem, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again. Empty as Ruth stands right next to her. Here's the link to the grace of God. And and so, really, what we need to be thinking about here is to just marvel at the grace of God in Naomi's life and realize that his grace is just as abundant for you and for me. I'll just mention this in passing and move to a final point and conclusion. That is, this another blessing of coming home is that provision is assured. You come home, you notice when they came home, and we've talked about this already, the beginning of barley harvest, they come home. That's the first of the two harvests. In other words, the max availability of grain for two destitute widows, it's always a good time to come home because God's provision is assured. As we get into chapter 2 and 3, we'll see that further. Provision for material needs, provision for spiritual needs, provision for generational needs. And one final point, that is this, a blessing of coming home is that others will be impacted. As halting as Naomi was, as she, can I say, stumbled her way back to Bethlehem, spiritually speaking others were profoundly impacted and let me tell you something whether it's literally coming back from the far country in a believer's life whether it's a person who's never trusted Christ to save or getting saved or whether it's a believer who's just strayed away in their heart and gotten cold get this when a person even comes home in their heart a believer in a local church they they Reconnect. they get back home in close proximity and relationship with the Lord, they have revival in their heart, others will be impacted. Think about the impact of Naomi on Ruth and Boaz and their future. Think about the impact on Bethlehem. These people were living in the days when the judges ruled. It was a dark time, and yet what a glimpse of hope it was to see Naomi come back and to see God's work of revival and grace in her life. Think of the impact on generations when Naomi made the choice to come home. Ruth and Boaz would be married. They would have a little boy named Obed who would have a son named Jesse, who would have a son named David, who some 30 generations would have a son named Jesus. You and I have been eternally, profoundly impacted because Naomi said, I'm going home. And and you have no idea, even if you sit faithfully in the pews of a church, the heart grows cold, you have no idea when the heart reignites with the fervor of love for God, and you come home in your heart, you have no idea the impact that that's going to have on coming generations. My dad has the privilege of pastoring. Several former Amish families. There's a book that's been written about their story. Three of them are members of the church my dad pastors. There are several others in the area out there in northeast Missouri. And it all began almost 40 years ago. And it happens, I think, fairly typically in Amish communities. Uh, They will pay people to drive them around in their vehicles. And Joe and Rachel Schrock, and John and Mary Schrock, and John and Maddie Bontrager, and uh, uh, Glenn and Ida Yoder, and then uh, one of their parents, uh, Grandpa and Grandma, about a half dozen of these families. There were several others. They were paying this guy to ride them around, take them places, paying them to shuttle them around. He was a believer, they would find out later on, a believer who was away from the Lord. But God was apparently stern in his heart. And while this believer who was away from the Lord was making some extra money on the side, hauling Amish people around, he was listening to preaching tapes. And those folks to this day will tell you that that was the beginning of the work of God in their life as they as unsaved Amish people, believing in work salvation, sat in the back of a vehicle... While a man who was away from the Lord but was starting to point his feet towards home was listening to preaching tapes from the Bible, that was the beginning of God's work in their heart that would bring them to Christ. And you can look back on that wall and see the picture of some of them, the grandchildren of those Amish folks that got saved. Joe and Rachel Schrock have 10 kids. I think all of them are serving the Lord. John and Mary Schrock have four children. And one of them is sent out of our church. And it all goes back to a believer who was starting to head back home and listening to preaching tapes. And God used the power of the word to awaken a hunger for Christ in the hearts of some lost people. And it made all the difference. The blessings of coming home. Father... As we think about Naomi and what she models for us, we're reminded that we're going to see her again when we get to heaven. We'll see her on the new earth. And and I thank you, Lord, that though she was ten years in this downward spiral, I thank you that your work of restoration in her life, as we look at the chronology of the book of Ruth, was less than a year. Before she went, for, where she went from bitterness to holding little Obed in her lap, and Lord, I thank you that you're so gracious that you work that way, that you don't hold out and mark time, but when we have strayed away from you, whether literally or in our hearts, and we come home, that there's an immediate welcome waiting. Lord, we think about the profound impact that that has and things that we maybe thought we had messed up irreparably, that you are the great restorer. And we begin to think rightly about you again. Our misconceptions are corrected. Lord, all these blessings, and we could probably double the list if we talked about it further. But I thank you for the encouragement of these tonight. And Lord, uh, really, what's been accomplished, I trust is that all of us have just come to love you more. And I, I have no idea where my brethren are in their hearts tonight. Maybe there's some hearts here this evening that are just going cold and apathetic to the things of God. And while they would never think of literally going to the far country, their hearts just strayed. And tonight, in the quietness of their seat, they need to come home so, Lord, as we conclude this service here in just a moment, singing softly and tenderly Jesus' calling, I thank you for this still, small voice and how you work in our hearts and stir us and draw us home. And I pray these things in Christ's name.